Welcome back to the Damage Report, everybody. I'm John Adarola. It is a new week. It's a Monday, but it's a different kind of Monday because in addition to me, you also have now Francesca Fiorentini. She'll be coming later in the week. We have a surprise Monday appearance by Adrian Lawrence. Adrian, how's it going? Ah, it is going pretty good. I'm excited. All these surprises. I know. I love surprises. I love news surprises. I love surprising statements. Like right before the show, when I said that I had been watching the show Dr. Death and you said you love that guy. What are you talking about? Hey, we like people who keep things interesting. You know, shake it up. Am I gonna ever walk again or not? Oh Always God. interesting. Hundred percent. Okay. Well, your takes are clearly going to be compelling on today's show, and we've got some good content for you to comment on. Not only updates on Donald Trump's legal issues. Obviously, he was smacked in the face with an eighty-three million dollar judgment last week. That may be chump change compared to what he could be facing in the coming days. So we're gonna give you a little bit of a preview of that. We're gonna take a look at a little bit of polling that might provide, shockingly, I think, for myself, maybe for the audience, a feeling of hope, which I am not used to. It's gonna be interesting experience that, experience it live today on the show. And then we got a whole lot more besides impeachment proceedings. We've got Kirsten Cinema popping up with some eye popping corruption and more besides. So everyone buckle up for that, send in your comments, we'll respond as we go. Your super chats, your Twitch comments, you might earn yourself a $100 Blue Apron gift card. And with all that said, Adrian, are you ready to do this thing? Let's rock. Okay, let's, you know what, we're gonna we're do it that way. We're gonna rock starting with this. They say the president that was treated the worst was Abraham Lincoln, but he had the Civil War, you know, so he had a little Civil War going. Abraham Lincoln and Jackson was treated very badly and a couple of others were treated. Andrew Jackson, he was treated very badly and a few others. And I haven't seen the new list, but if I'm not number one over Abraham Lincoln, <laughs> I will be very disappointed. That is Donald Trump playing the victim as you might expect. He's mad, you know, he's frustrated. He owes E. Jean Carroll $83.3 million, which is a lot of money. It's particularly a lot of money when you could have just owed like $5 million, but you just kept doubling down on defaming this woman who has suffered so much at your hands. So he's mad about that. And you might think, well, then everything's the way it always is. He's breaking the law. He's angry about it. No, not everything is the way it always is. Something has changed. We had indications last week that it might be changing. I think we have further evidence of it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you in just a minute. Before that, though, I do want to let you know that E. Jean Carroll's put out a statement about the big judgment of last week, saying this is a great victory for every woman who stands up when she's been knocked down, and a huge defeat for every bully who has tried to keep a woman down. Now, admittedly, Donald Trump like he always does, says that he's going to appeal, saying absolutely ridiculous. I fully disagree with both verdicts. This is not America. So he's going to appeal. He is free you know, in our system to try to appeal. Will it be taken up? I don't know. It's not the sort of thing that like I know he hopes it'll go to the Supreme Court and the justices he put there will save him. I don't feel like this is the sort of thing that generally the Supreme Court's gonna get involved in. It is a very big judgment. Maybe they would have some sort of problem there. But that's, again, that's all pretty much how it's supposed to work with Donald Trump. But here is the thing that has changed. It has been like four days since this judgment. And he has sent a lot of crazy messages, as he always does. But do you know what he has not sent? 
next to anything about E. Jean Carroll. He has not gone on his uh, you know, from the toilet truthing sprees against her. There's been no screenshots of her prior tweets. There's been no talking about the name of her cat or anything like that. The only thing he has sent in multiple days is a couple of articles with no commentary added. So here's the first. It's something from the National Pulse, whatever that is, saying it's a miscarriage of justice. Okay, but he's not saying anything. They're just saying it's a miscarriage of justice. He also sent this from Breitbart, 15 facts about the allegations against Trump in the media. They, they don't want you to know. I'm assuming number seven is that her cat is named Vagina. But anyway, that's it. There's nothing about, I don't know this woman, I've never touched this woman. None of that, which means he did a bad thing. There were consequences and the consequences mattered. And this might be the first time in Donald Trump's life that that has ever happened. Adrian, what do you think? Am I getting ahead of myself? Maybe <laughs> what, what do you think about this? No, I don't think you're getting ahead of yourself. As we've seen with Donald Trump in the past, he really likes to poke the bear and continue kind of his reign of terror by virtue of the fact that he never seems to face any kind of accountability. But this $83.3 million verdict against him is enough to shake him a little bit, to rattle him, especially because as he continues to go through the appeal process, the courts do not have to necessarily stay that judgment. They can go ahead and say, nah, go ahead and start getting that paying now, sir. So he knows he is not in a good position. And fortunately, that is having an effect on his mouthpiece and whether he's willing to broadcast it in his lies accordingly. Yeah, I like I've often wondered what would it take for him to learn a lesson? $83.3 million, apparently. Apparently. Uh, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. So really fast. Um like do you have, based on other cases like this of defamation that you've seen or anything, do you have any sort of a read on how likely it is that the appeal could go anywhere? It, the fact that they gave her so much more than she had asked, is that a potential thing that could influence that? Or, or do you expect that it'll probably stand? Well, New York State doesn't have any cap on punitive damages. So uh, that's a good thing because uh, the last thing you want is for a jury to actually render some justice and then for it to be reversed or uh, reduced in any way on appeal or by the trial court itself. But in terms of appeal, uh, Trump's attorneys are gonna have to bring some actually meritorious arguments, something that would make the appellate court say, hey, there was an injustice done here and it was significant enough to impact the verdict itself uh, and the award here. And I don't necessarily know that that's something that they can do given how much the judge did what appears to be everything in his power to you know, make sure things were as fair as possible. And just how egregious Trump and his trial team were. But then also when we talk about the Supreme Court, I don't really think it'd be going anywhere because it's just not a novel issue. There's nothing novel here. Of course, if they could find something, Trump's legal team, sure, that maybe it would be something for the US Supreme Court to consider. But based on what we know the parameters are supposed to be, no, this is just an everyday verdict for somebody who acted up. If you're looking for a bombshell, I guess you didn't know that her cat was named Vagina. Did you not know that? Because I feel like that blows this thing wide open. I feel like that has to be taken up by the Supreme Court. No, obviously no rational person would make that case. But he doesn't have a rational person as a lawyer, he's Alina Haba. So God only knows where this thing is going next. Oh, Really fast, just because I don't know that we've had a lawyer on to talk about this. What do you think about Alina Haba? I mean, has uh -huh. anyone been more out of, like, I feel like if you had put a border collie 
in the courtroom. It would have done a better and more sympathetic job of protecting him. Like, do you feel bad for her? She clearly isn't trained for this. No, no, I think she had said in a clip, if she had the chance between the opportunity to be either smart or pretty, she would be pretty because she could fake being smart. And I think that's kind of what she has done here in terms of getting Trump to hire her and retain her. Because the fact is, if you're going to go to trial for something as egregious, you're gonna need actual trial counsel, someone who knows how to work the the jury as well as the well. And that's not something that Alina Haba has that experience, but also it's not something she's even trying to acquire. And I don't even know if she's gonna be licensed by the time the appeal is you know, running through the process, given how many things she's done to offend the court. Yeah, is there like, is there a master class you can take or something? Spark notes <laughs> for some legal textbook? I learned a lot watching Suits, maybe she could yeah. binge or something. Check like, out some John Grisham, no, I feel you. There you go, you, you could think learn something. there was something. No, no. Well, unfortunately, that's probably not going to go well for Donald Trump. Um, but he, while he doesn't necessarily have a competent lawyer on his side, what he does have is lackeys who are not going to let a little thing like a nearly $100 million verdict against him shake their support. Take a look at this video of GOP senators being asked about what they think of this verdict. Your candidate, former President Trump, was ordered by a jury to pay 83 million dollars for defaming writer E. Jean Carroll. He was also found before, as you know, liable for sexual abuse. Does that give you any pause in your support? Yeah, myself and all the voters that support Donald Trump supports a return to normalcy as it relates to what affects their kitchen table. They were jury trials, they were jury trials. They started when Donald Trump was president. That That gives you no pause whatsoever. I don't have a, the Democrats don't pause when they think about Hunter Biden and the challenges that he brings to his father. He was ordered to pay $83 million to a person that a jury found he defamed after a separate jury found that he had sexually assaulted her. Does it give you any pause about him returning to office? It doesn't, obviously these are legal cases. I don't jump in the middle of a legal case. It's been interesting the number of legal cases that have come up against President Trump and then have failed and have been dropped or have been kicked out of the courts on it. Yeah, th- this one didn't, like it didn't didn't fail. And you're not, I'm not asking you to jump in the middle of it, it's done. That's why he owes the 83.3 million. Can you jump into the end of it perhaps, Senator Lankford, maybe? Um, I don't know which of those defenses of Donald Trump, or not even defenses, those evasions about Donald Trump uh, or worse from Tim Scott or from James Langford. The idea that, oh yeah, but Hunter Biden, okay. So I know that you guys think that he got a loan from Biden or something for a truck. He does, it was not found by a jury to owe $83.3 million. Like that, this is an allegation that James Comer has made on the one hand versus multiple juries on the other hand, nothing. And he started to say, I don't know what he was gonna say, Tim Scott, when he said, I don't have a, and then he changed tact. I assume spine, moral conscience, sense of consistency, sense of decency. Um, I, I no longer have a relationship with the God that I once worshiped because I am lining up behind this guy who sexually assaulted a woman. And I'm only doing that because I still wanna have power. I look. Tim Scott can take it up, I guess, with his God, but it seems pathetic to me as a man. Adrian, what do you think? 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. The fact is that these um, members of the GOP, they're not here for truths for people. Uh, no, they're here for talking points and hopefully uh, latching onto Donald Trump to the point that it'll help elevate them in some form or fashion. Because as we see, they have no problem commenting on ongoing investigations or just allegations in their own, as opposed to things that have already been locked down and proven by a jury, so to speak. It just it just shows you how pathetic people are in terms of their choice of selective commentary. Yeah, I like we nobody expects that Tim Scott's gonna suddenly be like, well, that's the that's the straw that broke the camel's back. He sexually assaulted this woman that he spent years not only denying it, but attacking her, ruined her reputation. It's reprehensible. I'm moving on with my life. Nobody expects that, but like that's the best you have is um, um, Hunter Biden. Um, um, so utterly pathetic. Um, and look, again, we're gonna get to some polling about what these what effect these charges could have on his base. But for those who have lined up behind him at this point, I mean, you're in for a penny and for a pound. I don't see why any of these things would affect that. But that said, I want to turn from the $83.3 million that he owes to the hundreds of millions that he might soon owe with this next section. Donald Trump is fresh off the defamation E. Jean Carroll trial, and now he's back to the civil fraud trial. In New York, where he is potentially facing hundreds of millions of dollars that he might owe. But on top of that, we have this new bombshell revelation from a court appointed financial monitor that has been going through all of the Trump Organization paperwork and tracking things that are there, things that should perhaps be there, things that shouldn't perhaps be there. And here is what the monitor found. They say that a letter from a former judge now claims that Trump may have lied about the existence of a $48 million loan. So in this federal judge, former federal judge, Barbara Jones writes that the financial information that was given to her by the Trump team has contained both incomplete and inconsistent disclosures containing multiple errors. And she said specifically, when I inquired about this loan, I was informed that there are no loan agreements that memorialize the loan. But that it was a loan that was believed to be between Donald J. Trump individually and Chicago unit acquisition for $48 million. However, in recent discussions with the Trump org, it indicated that it is determined that this loan never existed. And thus that it would be removed from any upcoming forms submitted to the Office of Government Ethics. and would also be removed from subsequent versions of ML. So they said that there was a internal loan where Trump lent money to an entity that he owns that does exist. But that doesn't appear to line up with the claims that had already been documented about this $48 million loan. And look, I don't know exactly all of the ways that a fancy pants rich guy and his team of lawyers can use a claimed but non-existent $48 million loan to influence a variety of things, which could be potentially the ability to get other loans, your tax burden, a variety of things like that. But if it's there and if it never existed, I don't think that this is a simple clerical error. We know this is this goes to the very heart of what Donald Trump is in his organization are being accused of in this trial, which is that they play fast and incredibly loose with the facts when it benefits them for insurance purposes, for loan purposes, and for tax purposes. And this could be like this one little thing that they found now is by itself potentially a massive financial effect on the overall case. So we're gonna see if this comes up this week, if there are others like this. But Adrian, what do you think about this revelation and about the civil fraud trial? 
I think it is a hell of a revelation and it speaks to the existence of fraud. You know, this isn't something that is an accident or could have just happened, you know, by plain error. This is something that you consciously have to decide to do. And if an individual is engaging in this kind of behavior once, I would like to think when it comes to economics and finances, especially given Trump's reputation in history, this is probably a pattern in practice. And so hopefully the prosecution, you know, really slaps him in the face with it. And he's going to be held accountable for this. It just it's so exciting, all of this accountability for Donald Trump. And it's just the dollar signs. It's lovely. Yeah. Yeah, and by the way, the, the dollar sign, the dollar sign could be before the number 370 million. Or who knows? I mean, look, maybe more after all, with the Eugene Carroll trial, he ended up owing way more than had been asked for. And he doesn't need it to get inflated much more from what's being already requested for it to potentially utterly wipe him out financially. And I'll give you the, yes. those details in just a sec. But before we give you those details, uh, while he is no longer bleeding about E. Jean Carroll and True Social, that has only freed him up to talk more about these other cases, which he has done at length. Take a look at this. I'm obviously not reading all of those, but that is, that's a lot. For a guy who arguably never wrote a single word of the many books of his that he's published, he sure is putting down a lot of words on True Social, and some of it is hilarious. So I'm going to read just a couple of excerpts though. He talks about how the judge should have announced that Trump did nothing wrong. I, I don't know why the judge would do that. But he goes on to list no victims, no fraud, no crimes, happy banks. So if the banks are happy, how could it be fraud? I mean, if the fraud benefits you and another organization, it can't be a crime, right? I don't think that's how it works. But then he goes on to attack the attorney general, who he says sat comfortably and confidently in court with her shoes off, arms folded, a Starbucks coffee, and a big smile on her face. This is all compelling argumentation for why he is not guilty of fraud in the Trump organization. I mean, I didn't know that she drank Starbucks because that means. I don't know, but something bad, I guess. He thought it was compelling enough to put there. And look, he goes on to talk again. He really does seem to think that if he claims things like how he didn't put down in his financial worth, my most valuable asset, my brand and goodwill, mm. that that makes them conservative. So you're telling these people are gonna have to evaluate whether you have committed, your organization has committed pervasive fraud that you seriously considered adding in the goodwill people have for you as part of your financial valuation. And that's supposed to be proof to us that you wouldn't fudge the numbers. But anyway, the, the only number that truly matters at the end of the day, if he is found guilty of this, and if there is a big penalty levied against him, is that he apparently only has an estimated $426 million in cash and liquid assets that could potentially be used for these court payments. Okay, so there's other stuff. There's cryptocurrency, there's loans to his children, which I would love it if they refuse to give that money back. He's got, you know, like real estate that he can liquefy or whatever. But at that point, you're talking about unwinding the entire Trump empire. But in terms of actual money, he only has 426, sorry, 426 minus 83.3 million dollars. 
So if they get in New York, what they're asking for in this trial, that could potentially utterly wipe out all of his liquid wealth. Now, maybe he can make up a little bit of that with fundraising or something. Maybe he could do cameos, but at some point we might see actual real estate needing to be sold off. Adrian, what are your thoughts? You know, I what bothers me most of what you said was the whole Starbucks coffee thing. This is New York, baby. She, she boy, Attorney General, she should have been up in Dunkin' Donuts. So yeah, <laughs> I, I can fully support him in bringing that up, and it does make me re-question the entire prosecution. That's it. That's all I got for you. I'm ridiculous. Um, I'm glad that he was able to get through. I. Think, you know, granted, I did not look at everything that he posted. I don't think he made any racist comments this time around, so that's nice. Maybe he's starting to learn a little bit about making fact free claims against people on social media. Anyway, um, we're gonna we're gonna transition to one more related story just briefly. When it comes to Donald Trump, I understand if you are pessimistic. To a fault. If you believe that none of the many things that are challenging him are gonna catch up to him, that he's never gonna truly have to pay for what he's done, that he can just skate by and commit all of these alleged crimes, still become nominee, still become president, you might be right. But there's reason to believe perhaps that America and even many Republicans, even many MAGA Republicans might actually not be willing to go that far. So we have gone through and there is polling that indicates that while he is dominating the Republican nominating contest right now, that might not in the end be enough for him if these criminal cases go the way he does not want them to go. So most Americans say that they would not vote for Trump if he were convicted of a felony crime by a jury. So that's 57%, which is admittedly not much more than the share of Democrats in most of these polls, but it's a few. Or if he's currently serving time in prison, that gets you three more percentage points, that's good. But more importantly, that is a third of Republicans in both cases, give or take, about as big as his core MAGA audience. So there is another third that say that the criminal cases against Trump make them more likely to vote for him in 2024. But I don't know if that means what they say it means. I mean, the person who says that they care even more about him if he is found to have broken the law in a variety of different ways and he's sitting in a jail cell, I think there's a good chance they were gonna vote for him anyway. I think they just wanna show their support by answering questions like that. But anyway, some more updated polls show that nearly a quarter of Trump voters say that he shouldn't be nominated if convicted. Which is not like a ton, but that's his base, a fourth of it that would potentially have this as a hard line that they will not cross. And the thing is, it's not like it has to be a lot. Remember, the election was determined by a very small handful of voters in a very small number of states back in 2020. And while polling is you know all over the place or whatever, it's almost certainly the case that that will be how 2024 is determined as well, if it's Biden versus Trump. So in many of these states, for instance, where Biden won by less than six points, if a quarter of his voters are ready to flee or at least stay home if he's a jailbird at that point, that is enough to cause that to happen again. And so look, Donald Trump posts a lot of polls on his social media and he's free to do that, but he doesn't post these polls. That doesn't mean that they're not worthy of our time and our attention and perhaps could be the cause of a little bit of hope, a little bit of optimism. Adrian, what do you think? 
Um, I, I am optimistic that people will exercise some common sense, if not in uh, the voting booth, but at least, like you said, staying home and not actually using their power to vote to put someone in office who is what in a cell. Like, get out of here with that. We don't even have a protocol or a process for it, but it just is completely and totally illogical and reasonable. But then again, that's how a lot of the mindsets of people who believe that he should be in a position of power, knowing good and well that he is a very good friend of fascism. Hundred percent. Yeah, as you say, like we literally don't even know how that would work in practice. Seriously. I mean, look, a lot of it's going to come down to which charges exactly it is, because we know that would he become president? There's no way that he's not going to use his pardon power even more loosey goosey than he did in 2020, and even insofar as protecting himself. Um, but I, I just I think the numbers aren't nearly high enough for me to feel like confident about the state of America, the state of our democracy or our citizenry or anything like that. But I think it's enough that I don't see how he could win in the end. Or even look if it gets bad enough that he potentially couldn't be replaced at the RNC. You know, they they haven't been willing to go that far before, but before he hasn't been sitting in a jail cell. So Things are not necessarily as rosy for him in terms of people's willingness to follow him off the cliff than he might think. Okay, with that, I do think that we need to go to our first break. When we come back, a lot more to get to, don't go anywhere. Okay, let's jump now to some of the domestic responses to an international tragedy starting with this. There wouldn't be these proxies in Iraq and Syria or the ones that hit those military men and women in Jordan without Iran. And what did Biden do? He's gotta start making sure that we show American strength. That's the only way we will get that done. None of us want new wars. None of us want new wars. We know where your money's going from, Vicky. We know, and we're sticking with wars, we want America first. So that was Nikki Haley responding to the fact that we did find out over the weekend that three American troops were killed, at least 34 were injured in an attack that occurred on Sunday in Jordan. So we're still gaining information about this, but enough has been revealed that candidates like Nikki Haley and commentators are jumping aboard, many of them calling for the new wars that they swear they're not interested in. So we know right now it was conducted by an Iran-backed militant group or groups in Syria and Iraq. And so Biden has responded as well. You see Nikki Haley talking about all that Biden must do. Well, here's what he's saying, at least at this point. He honored the slain service members for being unwavering in their bravery, unflinching in their duty, unbending in their commitment to our country. Uh, has no doubt we will all we will hold all those responsible to account at a time and in a manner of our choosing. And so there are obviously concerns, concerns that predated this horrific attack uh, coming out of the uh, the the violence in Yemen, the strikes on Yemen, that we could be launching ourselves into some sort of regional conflict. And so there are some in the White House and the Pentagon that appear to be trying to reassure people that that is not the direction the Biden administration wants to go in, that they are going to be doing some sort of reprisals, but that they will be more targeted. This hasn't even happened yet, and already there is pushback against any form of restraint. So you saw Nikki Haley, she can say we don't want new wars, but is she going to oppose them? I mean, if we are if this goes beyond a few strikes, if this goes into boots on the on the ground, if this goes into a renewal of some of these conflicts, do we expect that she is going to be advocating against that? 
There's nothing in her history to indicate that. And it's not just her, by the way, others that you could always count on to support wars, particularly in the Middle East, are lining up for this. So you have Senator Lindsey Graham saying the Biden administration can take out all the Iranian proxies they like, but it will not deter Iranian aggression. I am calling on the Biden administration to strike targets of significance inside Iran. Not only as reprisal for the killing of our forces, but as deterrence against future aggression. The only thing the Iranian regime understands is force. Until they pay a price with their infrastructure and their personnel, the attacks on US troops will continue. Senator Tom Cotton said the only answer to these attacks must be a devastating military retaliation against Iran's terrorist forces. Anything less will confirm Joe Biden as a coward. Because that's how it works. If you as president don't kill a whole bunch of other people and launch us into a war that will never be a threat to you personally, then you're a coward. But if you start a conflict that could result in thousands or tens of thousands of US service members ultimately being killed, that means you're brave. So anyway, Adrian, I wanna go to you. Look, something is certainly going to be done. American service members were killed, but we are already concerned about this thing suddenly roiling the entire region. And some people seem to be really hot for that to start sooner rather than later. What do you think? You know, I think there are a lot of individuals in the United States who are just tired. They're tired of our tax dollars being spent abroad to be in wars we don't need to even be involved in. I think some 70% of Democrats are against troops going into the Middle East and at least two thirds of Republicans. And the thing is, is I just think that people are tired of seeing us struggle economically and in ways in which we don't even have the basics like healthcare, yet we got plenty of money for us to be in different places, You know, telling people what to do. And and trying to direct and saying we are the guiding light. And I get that what happened is not, it's not something we want. Of course not, service members were injured and several were killed. But at the same time, we do ask a lot of questions or we have to, and people are starting to ask questions of, okay, well, why are we here? And to what extent are we gonna respond by sacrificing not only more American lives, but on top of that, our economic status and our ability to provide for our own people, which is something we're not doing. Yeah. I. I hope, as you say, I hope the American people are tired. They do. There seems to still be a hesitance to get involved in something like this that I think is sort of like, but it's born from the many years of Afghanistan and Iraq and all of that. I think that people are still sick of that. But the issue is that that's regular people. Like those in elected office, the Haley's and the Graham's and the Cotton's or whatever, they look for every situation as a potential way to get us into one of these conflicts that will, you know, it'll make their donors a ton of money. It's just, it's where they feel comfortable in politics. Remember, like when the, the strikes in Gaza began and there were multiple US politicians saying, like, you know, maybe, maybe special forces in Gaza, maybe even more. Like they, they would be happy for us to invade Gaza. And the thing is, like you have a you have a section of the Republican Party that would pitch themselves as being anti-intervention. Okay, they say America first. They say they don't want new wars, but very often they just don't want to call it a war, but they still want it. Like Marjorie Green will say that she is anti-intervention, but she says we should we should fight the cartels in Mexico. That's an invasion. That's all that is. That's a war with Mexico. 
It's not like you just carpet bomb an entire region of our neighbor and then tell the government like, oh no, that's not you. That's just those bad dudes in your north. That's not how it works, okay? And the thing is, some of them might not yet be coming out like Graham and Cotton to be like, it has to strike inside of Iran. But they are going to be calling him a coward. They are going to be saying that he's not doing what's necessary to protect our service members. They're not gonna specifically say he should invade. But if he doesn't invade, they're gonna be trying to score points off of that. Because they're not actually against the idea of invading. Donald Trump loves to claim that under him there were no new wars or whatever. Leaving out of course that we had all of the same wars that we had when he became president, he continued all of them. So he puts out this statement about this saying, three years ago, Iran was weak, broke and totally under control. Thanks to my, no, they, they had been freed from the treaty. They had the, the possible, they could be developing nuclear weapons. Like he's just totally rewriting history, but regardless, Thanks to my maximum pressure policy, the Iranian regime could barely scrape $2 together to fund their terrorist practices. Then Joe Biden came in and gave Iran billions of dollars. That's not even remotely how it worked. This attack would never have happened if I was president, not even a chance. There were, there were attacks and there were Americans being killed in countries of the region constantly. What are you talking about? But he doesn't have to make any sense in his world. Hamas would have never attacked Israel, the war in Ukraine, I guess would have never been invaded because he's so friendly with Putin that Putin would have just just ignored, he wouldn't have done it. Just because he's got his bud in office, doesn't make any sense. We would have just had peace. Instead, we're on the brink of World War III. So again, he's not specifically saying we have to invade Iran, but he's saying that Biden is a coward, that he is freeing them up to do this sort of stuff. So what is the alternative? What does Biden do to satisfy the many MAGA Republicans who are gonna see these sorts of messages and think, yeah, he is being a coward, he should do more. Again, it's pushing for war without even at least having the, the neocon balls to admit that that's what you're doing. If that's what you want, if you want to get us involved in another decades long conflict there, that's gonna make billions for defense contractors, at least say it. But they're calling for it without admitting that that's what they're doing. Any final comment, Adrian? Oh, of course, you know, that's something it seems that um, our country very much loves to do, you know, part of the gaslighting process. Say something is not exactly what it is, even though we know what it is by looking with our eyes. Uh, and, you know, of course, they don't want to trigger certain provisions of the rules that they have set in place in our laws if they want to actually initiate an actual war. It just, it shows you how broken our system is. But to be honest, I think that's how it's supposed to function. I just pray that we don't take our broken asses over to another country and start killing their people, kind of just because we're bored and want more corporatism yeah. and capitalism. Yeah. But the final comment I make about this is when they say things like, was it, was it Graham? The, the only thing they understand is for, when has that ever been the way that it worked? Oh, We, we bombed this, this group and that's it, that's fine. That's why it's working so well with Yemen. You know, We bombed them and now there's no more attacks on the ships or whatever. Like that, that obviously, well, that's why there's no conflict between uh, Hamas and Israel is because they bombed each other. And that shows that they only understand for, that's not how any of this works. And, and by the way, he's not a particularly intelligent person, but he's smart enough to understand that. No, what he understands is that we use force against them, then they use it against us. The idea that what, the Iranian government's gonna fall because we bombed them? The Iranian government that would love nothing more than their population to see like all of politics through the lens of America is the great evil and only we can protect you. 
Like, how much easier is it to sell that message if we're literally bombing the Iranian people? Like the idea that he would be stupid enough to not understand that is just that is that is a bridge too far. He understands that he doesn't mind that attacking a regime like that would buttress it, that would do its propaganda for it. He doesn't care because there's so much money to be made. Anyway, we're gonna take our second break of the hour, but when we come back, the 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 House is prepping impeachment charges. We're gonna debate whether we think it's likely to work after this. Sometimes the end of that social break sneaks up on you. But we're back with more news. We're gonna close out this first hour with a couple of interesting stories. So let's jump into this. House Republicans have released two articles of impeachment, not against Joe Biden. They'll get to that soon, don't worry. But against the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. This is someone that they've been talking a lot about, both because they want to focus on the border. They want that to be the big policy that's driving conversation about politics during this election. But also because I think they think that impeaching him is a way to sort of proxy impeach Joe Biden that might be a little bit easier to sell to the American people. So with that said, here's how they're gonna try to sell it. They say that Mayorkas willfully and systemically refused to comply with the immigration laws, failed to control the border to the detriment of national security, compromised public safety, and violated the rule of law and separation of powers in the Constitution to the manifest injury of the people of the United States. So what they mean there is, some migrants cross the border and we don't like that. Now, when they cross the border, when Trump is in charge, that's okay. That's just more reason to build wall. But when it happens under Biden, then clearly people need to be impeached. They say that he deliberately violated immigration law passed by Congress, which that's a point that we're gonna return to. So keep that in mind, such as those requiring detention of migrants so that through these policies, a crisis has arisen at the border. They accuse him of releasing migrants without effective ways to make sure they show up for court or removed from the country. We're not going to go through all of how utterly dishonest that is. We've already talked in many cases back when Trump was in office about how there is a shocking level of compliance with that. When people are released and told that they have to return, it's in the high 90s. They don't care. They're not interested in that. They're not interested in a solution to the problem. They're interested in pitching it as a crisis. They need it for Donald Trump to distract from all of his legal troubles. They need it to try to beat Joe Biden in 2024. And by the way, this isn't even new. Every election, there's a crisis at the border. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed how caravans manifest out of the air like mist whenever an election is drawing near? So, oh, what do you know? There's another crisis in this area. In any event, as of right now, the articles of impeachment have just been released, but the vote is expected to come soon. The House Homeland Security Committee might be voting as soon as tomorrow on this. That would send it to the full house for consideration. And Speaker Mike Johnson is saying that he's going to expedite this. He really wants to score some points amongst the anti-immigration loonies in his party. This is an easy, basically free way for him to do that. So I expect that they probably will be voting on it this week. That said, if he is impeached by the house, that does not mean that he's immediately removed from his position. As with attempts to impeach Joe Biden, it would have to go to the Senate. You would need a two thirds majority to convict him, which has absolutely no chance whatsoever of happening. So all of this is on one level or another political theater, but it's the theater that's going to happen. So I guess get a ticket and sit down. This is a show that we're not gonna be able to stop anytime soon. Adrian, what do you make of this? 
You know, I think it's a great observation that you make because it's it's something that always baffles me in terms of there's always an issue at the border. The us them narrative is always triggered in some way, especially around an election time. And people don't care that a lot of it is a farce, that it's just a way to conjure the fear that someone's going to take what, as far as I'm concerned, the US has already taken from others. But basically someone's gonna do to the US what it's done to others. And it's not even legit, yet so many people in the US are still fearful of that. And they're in states that don't even have a border itself. Yet it's a way to get votes, to corrupt people's minds. And you just really wish that even some of these very educated, knowledgeable people would let go of that narrative and start focusing on the things that are actually important. Yeah, and, and by the way, like, so you point out that, that, that hypocrisy. And the thing is, the hypocrisy is being played out on a daily basis in multiple ways in topics that we have discussed on the show. And so we're gonna remind you of something. So the idea is Mayorkas isn't following the law, ergo he can't maintain his position. And specifically, he's not following the law on immigration, so he's gotta go. What else is going on nationally in the topic of immigration right now? Well, the Supreme Court said, the Biden administration can remove the concertina wire at the barrier. Basically sort of a proxy ruling designed to reinforce the now centuries old you know, established fact that when it comes to a disagreement between the states and the federal government on immigration, the federal government is supreme. Supreme Court said that, that was already the law. That's already what the constitution said. The Supreme Court is just reminding us of that. They're willing to start a civil war over that. They've got a trucker convoy. At the southern border, 25 Republican governors have agreed with Greg Abbott that they are willing to potentially take this thing to shots being fired. So they're not following the law. They're explicitly saying we don't have to follow what the Supreme Court says on here. They're very clear about that. The Oklahoma governor said that states can just ignore the Supreme Court if it quote gets something wrong. But by definition, according to our Supreme, look, I think they can get things wrong. But according to our to our Constitution, it is still the law. You can't just ignore it. That's not how any of this is supposed to work. If we're going to have our our government, and so they've got a sort of tenuous grasp on how you need to comply with the law. Um, and at the same time, by the way, the idea here is that it's so bad that he's not abiding by the law because we have a crisis. We have a situation that needs to be fixed. He's not fixing it, fixing it, ergo he must lose his position. But you might recall that the bipartisan Senate border deal that's being been, been being worked on for months now, they're now saying we're not gonna pass that because that would give Biden a win. So they're saying on the one hand, you have a crisis that needs to be fixed, but to fix it, that would help Biden. So we're gonna tank the whole thing. So what is it? Is it a border crisis that is so serious that people should lose their positions over it? Or is it something that they could wait until the after, after the election, we don't need to worry about it. Like as we are doing this show right now, Trump is continuing to bleat about how they should not pass the border bill, saying it's not necessary, okay? Well, if it's not necessary, then clearly we don't have that big of a crisis that necessitates impeachment. So the hypocrisy just plays out on so many different levels and they're not even trying to hide it. They're campaigning on this right now, Adrian. Um, and unfortunately, the issue is that so many of the people in their base, they're not thinking this through. They've been taught to despise migrants. They've been taught that they their job could be taken, they could be killed, they could be raped. 
That's the stakes in this. So they're not thinking logically about this. They're not thinking rationally about the obvious hypocrisy that the right wing is playing out on a daily basis. No, and you know, I think this plays in part into why Trump said if he were going to run for office, he would be he would do it on the Republican ticket because, like he, I think he said, Republicans are stupid. It's the thought that these individuals, unfortunately, they've been fear mongered, fear mongered to think that what their people generally have done to a number of indigenous people or to other groups will be done to them. And so to have this us them narrative, that is something that they love to push because it works so damn well, especially since we have so many the underlying forms of just kind of hate and shade for other groups and people who do not look standard white and whatnot, that that's what they're able to leverage. And so mm -hmm. we see it every time where it's it's like mm -hmm. almost like holding up some keys in front of a cat and dangling them and saying, <laughs> oh, border crisis, border crisis, other people are coming. It just makes people completely and totally lose all sense of reason. Yeah, it should be more complex. Mm -hmm. To distract tens of millions of people, but it isn't really that bad. Yeah. Um, okay, so we, we've been talking about how little sense so much of this makes, how juvenile the arguments can be and still work. I have the best example of that. If you want an idea of how little respect Donald Trump has for his base and how little he thinks he or the Republicans need to do to win them over, I just came across this message. I was looking at his true social because he's posting a lot about how the border bill needs to be killed or whatever. And he has a, a bleep in all caps that reads, this is the Trump stock market because my polls against Biden are so good that investors are projecting that I will win and that will drive the market up. Everything else is terrible. So the idea is that Republicans have been facing pressure over the last week or so, including Sean Hannity. For how they had talked a lot about the stock market under President Trump, how it was good, and that's proof that Trump is doing good. So now the stock market is doing good under Biden. So doesn't that mean that Biden is doing a good job? And they've they've dealt with that in different ways. Sean Hannity says, "Well, you know, I never really thought it was a good proxy for the uh, the economy, but it was just one of many things I was talking about under Trump. So I don't have to give him credit." But what Trump is saying is that. The entire stock market is being pumped by people who are excited about the idea that he could soon be president once again. But think about how that would actually work in practice. So he polls well against Biden, which means that he's going to be president, which excites investors. So they invest, which improves the stock market. But as we know, when the stock market is doing better, that's supposed to represent that the economy is doing better. And Joe Biden is the incumbent president. And if the economy is doing better, then that means that he's probably going to improve in the polls, which means that Trump's polling advantage would recede, which means investors would have less faith that he's gonna become president. So they're going to disinvest. They're gonna pull out some of their investments. So where exactly does this loop end? Again, none of this makes any sense. That is one of the most juvenile, transparently nonsensical arguments that we have had to talk about on the show. And yet, Fox News is gonna buy it, his base is gonna buy it. His base, many of whom, like like most Americans, aren't even able to invest because things have gotten so tough. But that's how little actual respect for he has for his audience, that he can throw out something like that, that he came up with while sitting on the toilet. And unfortunately, some people are gonna buy it. Anyway, I don't know if you have any thought about that. The what What do you think? <laughs> no, I agree with you. Base is going to buy it. Um, unfortunately, I think it's a mix of 
people just wanting to lean in and to take someone's word for it, not to have to do any of the work themselves. Also, the fact that fear mongering has been very effective in the United States. And then lastly, you know, our opposition to education, keeping people dumb so you can keep them under control is something that we're able to leverage and really take advantage of. So I think the culmination of those three things will make it so incredibly easy for people to latch on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is unfortunate that um, you know we we have obviously so much access to so much information, and yet the propaganda remains seemingly just as just as effective. Like people's ability to to break through these narratives to understand what's really going on. Like you you have a proliferation of voices, you know, so you don't have to get information just through like the the two or three news channels that we had a couple generations ago, but. And you have you know something like TikTok, which lowers the barrier of entry of people being able to comment on what's going on to virtually nothing. And yet it, it doesn't seem as if the conversation has become more nuanced, more knowledgeable, more understanding of context. Um, they're, they're continuing to be conned and they don't even realize it. At the same, I'm just gonna mention one more thing because I think we have a minute. Um, at the same time that he's talking about how whatever is going on this in the stock market, he deserves credit for because he might be present in the future, which is such a weird view of causality that I don't understand it. He is attacking Sean Fain. So everyone, you, you might have seen that Sean Fain had uh, endorsed uh, Joe Biden. Like he's not a fan of Joe Biden or whatever, but he has been able to accomplish some great things for auto workers. And Donald Trump is utterly trashing him, trashing him, trashing the industry, trashing the workers, because he believes that like the right hates electric cars or something. So like I I, I don't understand how workers don't see through this. Like when you when you break down, even like union members are more likely to support Joe Biden, but there's still like a shocking level of support for a guy who doesn't want them to have literally any bargaining power whatsoever, who has repeatedly said that wages are too high. I don't understand how people can continue to work against their own direct economic interests. Anyway, that is unfortunately all the time we have in the first hour. We're gonna be mixing it up in the aftermath where we'll be talking about some of the perhaps inevitable fallout from the death of Roe v. Wade. There is horror being played out on an almost industrial scale in many states in America. We're gonna be talking about that as well as Kirsten Cinema's corruption. We've talked about it from multiple different angles. Well, now there's a report on private flights, how much of your money she is spending on those, and it is eye popping. So we're gonna be breaking that down and more in the aftermath. Thank you everybody who's been listening to the first hour. For the rest of you, don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this. 